Good morning. How many of you would, like me, say life looks different today than you thought it would look like? Like if you could go backwards and look forward to today, how many of you would say life looked a lot different in my in my expectation or my guess than it has in my reality? For some of us, you're experiencing that right now. You're like, I'm in a moment I didn't think that I would be in. And I look back at several moments in my life and a lot about my life has looked different. Um, I thought maybe today we would be living in the 850, not the 817. Uh, 850 is the Tallahassee, Florida area code. Um, my wife and I moved here from Atlanta. If you didn't know this, uh, we lived there for about eight years. And most of that eight years, I was trying to move my family back to Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I remember interviewing with uh, a church in Jacksonville. I did a phone interview and thought, oh, my word, I would never want to do life with that guy. I, that's a that's a closed door from the Lord. And that guy now lives in the Metroplex and we're friends. Uh, I got to know him. So I don't know which of us phone interviewed worse, but it, it was like, ooh, I don't ever want to talk to him again. And we're like buddies now. It's kind of weird. Um, but it was this closed door from the Lord. And then we started talking to this church in Tallahassee, and I thought, well, that's halfway back home to Florida. It's halfway closer than Atlanta, so maybe that's what God's up to. And then it just felt like closed door. And then here we are in Fort Worth now, right? And 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 those closed doors in the moment, don't they just feel almost abusive? Like, I had a plan. Why is God not on my page? Like, why is he not doing what I want him to do? In the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 9, says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There's this sense in in which our heart looks down the path, and God's busy directing the actual steps. Right? And I don't don't think that means you shouldn't have plans, by the way. Just know that I've spent a lot of my life thinking, well, this is the direction God's going. And, and I've taken a step and God's been like, Whoop, we're just going to go over here. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Got a little dizzy there. Thanks, Lord. Okay, now we're going this direction. And he's like, nope, we're going over here. Because he directs our steps, right? There's intentionality in him directing our steps. Uh, Skip Heitzig said this, though, about that verse. He said, the Lord establishes our steps. He also establishes our stops. Those closed doors when we're like, God, I don't know what you're doing here right now. He's got a purpose and a plan in the pause just as much as he does in the path. Right? Heitzig said sometimes God's no is just as important as God's go. He, he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's closing doors and opening doors of his own will for your good and for his glory. Uh, I, I read a quote, or heard a quote rather, by a, a songwriter who's 80 years old this week. And I figure, if man, if you're 80 years old, I want to hear what you have to say about God's direction in your life. And she said, I have most experienced God in the interruptions, and I've seldom experienced Him in my plans. We serve a God who opens and closes doors on purpose for His glory. And for our good. 
We're going to look at some hardcore closed doors in the text this morning. So grab your Bibles if you would. Uh, if you're a guest today, uh, we have a tradition here. We say a creed before we jump into reading the Bible. And so uh, if that's where you're at in your spiritual journey, we'd invite you to, to hold up your Bible and say that with us. There's a Bible underneath the seat in front of you if you didn't bring one today. Um, and so we're going to hold our Bibles and declare this with some conviction this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Acts chapter 16. If you're using one of uh, of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 870. Acts chapter number 16. We've been in, uh, if you're a guest, we've been in the book of Acts since January. Uh, we're, we're working through, and sometimes we've only gotten through a little piece of it, and sometimes we've gotten through a chunk. And this is a chunky day. Uh, God willing, we're going to get through all of uh, the rest of, of Acts chapter 16. We looked at the first five verses last week, but God willing, we're going to cover a lot of territory this morning. And I'm going to ask you to, to follow along in the text. And so I know reading is not necessarily everybody's favorite thing to do, but there's a pretty incredible story of some open and closed doors here in this text that are worth looking at together. We start off together in verse number six. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Y'all heard of Galatia, right? Because the book of Galatians. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I'm confused. Can we please get some more explanation? No. No. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word. Isn't that kind of their job description at this point in history? Like you're, you're an apostle. That's speaking the word is what you do. The Holy Spirit, you talk about a closed door, right? There's never been a moment in my life where I've said I was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure he has forbidden things, but it, it was obvious enough that we made historical record of it. That's a pretty epic closed door, right? And here, here it is again, verse 7. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. That is so weird. What does that mean? That is some closed doors. We don't know how or why. I, I wish it explained to us what that looked like. So for a lot of us, when we think the Holy Spirit closes the door, we just mean we had kind of a feeling or a sense Right. And I think this was probably more dramatic than just a, eh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes you get the eh in your spirit and you're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to whatever. But I, I think this was a little more historical epic than that. We don't know what happened. We do know that while the Apostle Paul was in Galatia, he got sick, really sick. Because he later writes back to the Galatians and tells them, Thanks for taking care of me when I was really sick and thought I was going to die. And so maybe this closed door was an illness. We don't know that for sure. But here's why I bring that up. Sometimes even a sickness is God at work in your life because he's up to something bigger. So sickness is not necessarily evidence that you don't have enough faith. It's not evidence that God has forgotten you. It's not necessarily evidence that you've got sin in your life. And so God's trying to whatever this prosperity gospel that's preached so much today is like, man, if you're sick, you must just be like messed up. What's wrong with you? 
Man, I, I serve a God who's so glorious and so good, he even shows up in the middle of sickness and redeems it for his good and glory and for our good. Like that, That's how good he is. There's purpose in this. Another reason that maybe this might have been uh, possibly a sickness, maybe that's the theory of, of how the Holy Spirit was forbidding them, is something's about to change. Uh, from, from what we've been studying so far this whole year in the book of Acts. <laughs> and in 2022, this is a risky thing to say, but we're fixing to change pronouns. Don't freak out. All of a sudden, for the first time in verse 10, Luke is going to say, we. Up to this point, he's been studying these stories and it's been they, them, he. Right now, in verse number 10, not right now, in just a second, he's all of a sudden going to change to we, and it's going to be we pronouns, plural pronouns, for the whole rest of the book. All of a sudden, Luke is not writing from research. He's writing from experience, participation. And the reason that's important is Luke was not primarily a historian. That was not his actual job. Luke was a doctor. Maybe Paul was so sick, they called the doctor who was like, I want in on what God's doing with your life. I'm going to pack up my doctor bag and start taking notes. And we're going to travel together. So maybe this was a sickness. We don't know for sure. But regardless, what we know is that is a pretty intense closed door. Verse number eight. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, there it is, there's we, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Which I guess if Paul told me I had a vision from God, I would say, well, then we should probably go there. Right? So who is this man from Macedonia? Does anybody know? No, we don't. That was a, that was a trick question. If you were going to nod, we were going to call you out. And so it doesn't say in the text, we don't know for sure who this was. There's a couple theologians who've made guesses about who this might be, but we don't know because the Bible doesn't say so. Uh, Sir William Ramsey is a New Testament scholar, um, and he says he thinks it was Luke appearing to Paul, saying, hey, we should go together. Maybe it was Luke. Uh, William Barclay, who's a New Testament uh, commentator, he thinks it was Alexander the Great appearing from the dead in the vision, saying, come to Macedonia, because apparently he was called the man from Macedonia. But we don't know. It's just interesting. This this vision that Paul had was apparently really, really compelling. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. The following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. If you've been around church for a long time, we finally said a name since Galatia that we recognize. Right? There's a there's a book written to these people. It's a leading city of the District of Macedonia, Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. 
we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Here's a little uh, nerd history piece of information for you, if you want to know it. Jewish law required that in every city, if there was at least 10 Jewish men, they were supposed to establish a synagogue. If there were less than 10 Jewish men, then often the women of the city would create their own open air place of prayer. Instead of a house of prayer, there would be a place of prayer. And we can talk about with Jewish ritual, why it was probably by a riverside, but that's a longer conversation for another day. Interestingly, he had this vision of a man from Macedonia and he showed up and there was a group of ladies. And I just wonder if any of Paul's companions were like, tell me about this vision again. Right? Apparently you're confused. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, which is in Asia Minor. A seller of purple goods who is a worshiper of God. And then I want you to read this. The Lord opened her heart. Man. Those of you who've been followers of Jesus for a minute, can we just pause for a second and say, aren't you glad that you had a moment when the Lord opened your heart? Mm. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she was baptized, her household as well. And she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. That is pretty aggressive, right? Not like if we're friends, come over for dinner. If I'm faithful to God, then come to my house. I mean, that's, that's pretty, she's, she, she prevailed upon them. <laughs> They're like, yes, ma'am, right? This lady, Lydia, this woman who was worshiping God, she's praying. She's not yet given her life to Jesus, but she wants to know God. And she's a seller of purple goods. Uh, Thyatira was known for this purple dye that was uh, natural in their region. And it just so happened to be that you could make purple fabric out of it that was worth a bundle. Like it was, it was kind of the, the renowned fabric that only the wealthiest of the wealthy could afford. And she's now in the export business, right? She's traveled to Philippi and she's selling these purple goods and clearly doing well at it. Her house was large enough for Luke and all of his companions to stay with her. She had the ability to provide food and, and, and host them well. This becomes the launching place for the church at Philippi. She's apparently got quite a spread, so she's good at what she's doing. If you were walking down the street and you saw somebody wearing purple fabric, you'd be like, is that a Lydia? Oh, my goodness. Right? Like, it's a Lydia. Right? <laughs> this is a big deal. She's an important person. She's a successful businesswoman. Uh, she's, we would say she's got houses in L.A. and New York and Paris, whatever. She's like, I'm in Philippi and Thyatira. Like, she's, she's got multiple places here. She's killing it. And she comes to faith in Jesus because God is in the business of opening doors and closing doors so that he can open hearts. That's what he's after. This powerful woman comes to faith in Jesus, but the story keeps going. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl 
We know Lydia's name, but here we are almost 2,000 years later, and this young lady is still nameless. She's only known by her struggle. She's a slave physically, economically, and functionally, but also spiritually, because it says she had a spirit of divination. That's a a fancy Bible talk for she was demon-possessed. She brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. It's creepy enough to think of this poor young lady being demon-possessed, but apparently the demon did some kind of tricks where was telling people's fortunes, people would pay for this service. So whoever owned her as a slave was profiting financially while she's being exploited. Bible scholars would tell us they think she probably was a, a young teenage girl. If we're trying to figure out about her age, that's their guess based on her description. We today would say this girl's being trafficked to be exploited. And this is where the story gets really interesting. She followed Paul and us. There's that plural pronoun again. Crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God. Who proclaim to you the way of salvation. You're like, how cool is that? I just got to tell you, as, as a guy who's been in ministry most of my adult life. If I ever reach a place where like people say of me. This guy really seeks to honor God and make known the way of salvation. Like, that'd be, I mean, I don't want to quote a demon on my headstone one day, but like, that would be fine to be, to be written there, right? I mean, what a great compliment. That's pretty amazing. But she kept saying it over and over again. I don't know if the demon was intimidated or scared or freaked out, but whatever the case was, the apostle Paul, had had enough, right? He he was a little over it. She kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. I just love that language, right? Paul was like, you're driving me nuts. Shut up. He turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very Hour. So she's saying this, obviously not to their compliment, right? Warning, this is the most high God. It's the other team, <laughs> right? They're making known the way of And he's like, okay, that's enough. Really, I'm done. Why didn't he cast out the demon the first day? There's so much that's confusing about this story. Literally yesterday... I didn't ask permission to share this story. I always ask my sons for permission to share a story before I share a story. But I just remembered this story. So I'm doing this without permission. All right. So yesterday, we're uh, after two years on a waiting list. My mother is finally moving to Fort Worth this week. Praise the Lord. So we're moving her stuff out of her little storage unit into her new little place. And um, Ethan was a doctor. And so Garrett and Bryson were helping me move it. And Bryson was carrying some stuff that when I went and picked it up, I was like, well, that was kind of heavy. Good job, bud. He tells me later, he's like, hey, I did a good job carrying the heavy stuff, didn't I? Because he's the baby of the family. He has to be praised all the time. And so I'm the baby of the family. It's okay. I'm allowed to say that. So he says, he says, what I did, 
He said, when I walked over and saw how heavy it was, I thought of something that would make me angry. And then I was able to carry it. And so I'm like, are you Bruce Banner? What does that mean? You're angry. You're the Hulk. Okay, so the Apostle Paul apparently had a little bit of Bryson in him where when he got angry, he could cast out demons. He became greatly annoyed, and so he cast out the demon. So that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I'm sorry. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace for the rulers. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. That's not true. Did you know that you can follow Jesus and people can accuse you of things that aren't true? Did you know that that's possible? The crowd joined in attacking them. Man, if if ever there was a more relevant verse for 2022. We don't have any information, but we agree. Burn it all down. Literally. You are looking at social media comments in the text. People want to tell you social media is not in the scriptures. Here it is. I have no information, but lots of opinions. Come on, that'll preach. We should get t-shirts made. I have no information, but lots of opinions. Okay. The crowd joined it. The crowd joined attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Those of you who, are, who were here last week, the Apostle Paul said, three times I was beaten with rods. Well, this is the first one that we have record of. When they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he did worse than what they told him to do. He put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. Uh, when we think of stocks, we think of like, the little thing that your head and hands are in. Um, when historians tell us that Roman stocks were actually um, clamps and chains that were fastened to your feet and ankles and then hoisted up and you, you were hung by your feet in the inner prison. Um, some historians believe that typically uh, Roman inner prisons were actually um, more like lower prisons that you kind of had the upper and outer area where you really uh, were there on your own merit. Hey, you wait right here, mister, <laughs> right? That kind of a thing. And then the the next level of the prison was a step down, and these people were actually in what we would picture like the old Wild West, you know, the, the bars and stuff. But then below that, where all of the filth would flow downward was the inner prison. It was apparently a vile and gross and disgusting place. They did not tell the jailer to put them there in the text or to put them in the stocks. But this is where they find themselves. And I only paint that picture because it makes the context of the next verse so much more meaningful. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I'm sorry, is that not convicting for anybody other than me? Because that just hits me. 
they were in a, in, in a situation that I don't think I even have context for. Like, I think it's worse than anything I can picture. And at midnight, they're praying and praising. They're not pouting, they're praising. Right? That, that's just incredible to me. They're not sulking, they're singing. Isn't that amazing? At midnight, too, which is weird. So for all the young people in the room, I encourage you to go to your parents' bedroom at midnight tonight and just burst into blessed assurance. Like full-blown choir voice, like, like, go for it. And then be like, I'm just praising the Lord. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> you're in timeout. <laughs> Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open. God is in the business of opening doors and closing doors. All the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, not because he was depressed or upset. We read that and we think, good grief, why would he instantly become suicidal? This is, an, this is a shame-based culture. It was expected. Now, if a jailer had a prisoner escape, his life would be taken from him, but that would bring shame upon him and his family. It was expected if you lost a prisoner. The honorable thing to do would have been to take your own life. And clearly this jailer considers himself a man of honor. So he draws his sword. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear... He fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Mm. And the Apostle Paul said, Well, we just had a meeting in Jerusalem where we discussed that very thing. And it was our conclusion that you're asking the wrong question, sir. What must you do? That's the wrong question. Believe that it's done. Our salvation can't come by our doing or else it's not salvation. It's something else. So the Apostle Paul, after all this debate, I love how he's like, I've got a sentence now. This is simple. And he's almost going to quote Peter from all those weeks we spent talking about chapter 15. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. How's that for an answer? What must I do? You must be baptized, circumcised. You got to pay your alms and you've got to clean your life up and get your act together and figure it all out and become a student of the law. Or just trust Jesus. <laughs> ah, thank you, Jesus. Believe in Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And by the way, that's true for your whole household as well. 
this needs to be said, some would say this advocates for familial salvation. If the head of the household gets saved, the whole family is in. And, and I think this is a dangerous verse to build that doctrine upon. Because that's not what the rest of the scriptures teach. Scriptures teach that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. And so my parents can believe in the Lord Jesus and I can reject him and not be saved. I believe what the Apostle Paul is saying is, number one, it's it's the hope of the Lord Jesus that your whole family would believe in him too. And the method of them being saved is the same as it is for you. Trust his gift of grace. Amen? Aren't you glad? Man. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. He brought them into his house, set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So we see three stories in this one chapter. We see Lydia. Who is she? She is a successful businesswoman. She's got it all together. She's wealthy. We would call her the upper class. She's influential. Her life is something that people would look at and be jealous of. She's driven, brilliant, well-known, well-respected. And she's even kind of religious. She's at a prayer meeting seeking after God. That's the first person. Who's the second person? We don't know her name. A slave girl. Instead of a life that's put together, her life is quite literally busted up. She's in bondage literally and physically and economically and spiritually. And not only is she not Interested in religion, she would not have been allowed to gather anyways because she's a slave. It's interesting. One author said this is not just a story of two women, but two women who cover the gamut of what it means to be a woman. I would say this today. Maybe Matt Chandler wrote this. Maybe you're a successful businesswoman. Or maybe the demons you battle all day are actually running around your house in the form of toddlers. But whatever your situation, you may find yourself in or more likely somewhere in the mundane middle. There's good news this morning that God is on the move to find you. He sees you. He wants to rescue you and give you a role to play in his kingdom. And that's not just true for these two women, the upper class and the lower class. Now we have this jailer. History tells us that most jailers were retired, decorated military leaders. Part of their retirement gift from Rome is they were given a future job. They were given a jail to manage. And so it's likely that he's a retired soldier. It's likely that he's older. And there was no such thing at this time in history as a middle class, but there was such a thing as the ruling class, which is the closest thing we can find historically to a middle class. So these three people, we've got the upper class, the lower class, and the middle class all together. And the reason I point that out is because in our culture today, these would be three separate churches. God forgive us. 
And God uses these three people to start the church at Philippi. And I think that's a beautiful picture. A wealthy businesswoman, a nameless slave girl, and a blue-collar Joe. Retired soldier. History tells us that there is a, um, there's an ancient Jewish prayer book called the Siddur. And there's a daily prayer prayed by Jewish men who use the Siddur. And this is the prayer every day. You listening? You ready for this? God, thank you that I am not a woman. Thank you that I am not a slave. Thank you that I am not a Gentile. I think the Apostle Paul was probably familiar with that prayer when he told the church that he had just been at in Galatia. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. We serve a God who says, man, we're busy putting labels on everybody. Here's your label. You're mine. I love you. I pick you. People use the phrase, I'm not the Christian type. That means they have no understanding of who Jesus is. He didn't have types. His type is a pulse. That's it. And he even raised some dead people. So even the pulse doesn't get you out of his team. I bring this up because we've said this a lot in this series, but it's been several weeks since we said it. So it needs to be said again. Again and again, Luke is going out of his way to show us a couple things. One is the important leadership role that women play in the early church. And he's also trying to show us how ordinary these leaders were. Not the scholars and the apostles and the people whose names are remembered 2,000 years later. It's the ordinary people. This, this moment happened, we think, somewhere around the year 50 A.D. By 325 A.D., historians believe that over half of the Roman Empire professed to be followers of Jesus. And that happened through ordinary people making a difference in their community. Regular people. Anonymous people. I, I shared this quote months ago, but it's worth saying again. Stephen Neal said, Nothing is more notable in the book of Acts and in the early church than the anonymity of these early missionaries. Nothing's more notable than how not notable they were. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? God's just using regular people to change the world. To do a whole brand new thing. We won't read the rest of this, the chapter. You can read it on your own later. But what, what's about to happen is they call for the Apostle Paul. And he's like, no, I'm not coming out. Tell him to come get me. They weren't supposed to have beaten me or thrown me in this prison because I'm Roman. And then his friends are like, seriously, Paul, can you ever not make stuff complicated? That part's not in the text. You won't actually read that. They eventually go on their way and we're going to pick up with them in chapter 17 next week. This week... This week, though, I want us to actually fast forward the story a little bit. You don't have to look there, but the Apostle Paul years later, and some of you might remember these three stories because we, we talked about 
these three stories when we preached through the book of uh, Philippians a few years ago. Book of Philippians, chapter number one, if I can see. Philippians chapter one, I want you to read the Apostle Paul says about these friends. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I wonder if he was remembering that collection of events over that two-day period. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he's like, as great as that's been, I feel like this is just the beginning. Because he says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's what's amazing about that promise. The Apostle Paul is sure that God's going to bring this work to completion. We don't believe the day of Jesus Christ has happened yet. It might be today, but it hasn't happened yet. You know what that means? He's still bringing that work to completion. We're a part of that work. Humanly speaking, without a church at Philippi, there never would have been a church in the United States of America. The gospel got to us through them. So that work that God does in us is not just for us, it's through us. We are a part of the work that God's still bringing to completion. How great is that? We're still experiencing a reality where God is opening doors and closing doors in our life because he's still in the business of opening hearts. That's what he's still doing. That's what he's going to keep doing because he's faithful. So I would end with, with these thoughts. Here's, here's how we land the plane on all of this this morning. Uh, to the person facing a closed door today, or, or maybe you haven't gotten over yesterday's closed door, I just want to say there's never an accident with our God. That closed door, that disappointment has divine purpose on it. Trust him. It's for your good. You've not ever encountered a, encountered a closed door by accident. God has a purpose for you. And then I would say this. Who are the hearts around you that God might be in the process right now of opening through you? Because maybe those closed doors brought you here. Maybe like me, you'd be like, man, when I go back and look forward, I never thought I'd be in East Fort Worth. But here we are. What are the hearts around us that God might be reaching through our story? What if our closed door is for somebody else's open heart? Who are they? What's their name? Are we looking for them? Are we engaging with them? Do we know their story today? Who are the people in your life whose hearts God might be very well opening through you? But here's what I believe. I believe we see the Apostle Paul's heart change. We read that in that text from Galatians. There's not Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. What's God doing in your life right now to open your heart? 
I don't think there's ever a moment as a follower of Jesus that he's not at work in your heart. The question today is, are you paying attention to it? Are you aware of it? Can you articulate it? Do the people closest to you know what you believe God's doing in your life right now? How is God opening your heart today? Because it's what he does. He opens doors and closes doors because he's after hearts. And then the, the last thing I would say is, and I say this to us as a church family today, by God's grace, may we be a church that doesn't shun one type and welcome another, that doesn't befriend one type and ignore another. Might we be a church full of upper class, lower class, and middle class people who love Jesus together and treat one another with dignity and honor and grace, regardless of our background, regardless of where we came from. May the uniting story be God opened my heart and I can't believe it. (laughs) I can't believe he rescued me. Might we be a church full of nameless people in the shadows and the Lydia's who are killing it and we're all just walking together following a God who loves us enough to interfere in our lives in order to open our hearts that we might see him in a truer way.